Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, we're talking with founder of Othello Group, Andrew Stallings. And for those who are not familiar, I'll try to give a nice little background on him. He is a brand marketing entrepreneur with a decade of experience representing both athletes and brands. He's worked in many different branches of the sports and entertainment industry, including some time at Sirius XM doing media and production and sponsorship and strategy at Octagon, Mosaic, NASCAR, and there's probably a few other in between there. So now he's as mentioned, running his own athlete marketing agency, which we're going to hear all about. So welcome, Andrew. Hey, no, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me, man. So to start off, as always, I'd like to give my guests a little uh, self-intro for them uh, to just kind of tell the listeners a quick background on, uh, you know, wh where you're from, what got you into sports, and then I'll, uh, I'll dive in with my questions after that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, first things first, um, you know, I really appreciate it. I definitely have listened to quite a few episodes of everything that you're doing here. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Uh, so in terms of myself, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, I am a, a king of failure, uh, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I, uh, born and raised in the Southeast Virginia market, uh, Newport news, Virginia, for those that are familiar, uh, home of Michael Vick. Uh, so he was, a neighbor growing up pre uh, bad days, <laughs> as you would say. Um, but that's, that's kind of my claim to fame is, is, you know, living in that area and um, you know, pretty much spent most of my life just with a hyper-focused passion on sports. Like a lot of us do uh, dreaming of, of working in sports one day, not really knowing the versatility and the diversity of, of what the sports business landscape looks like, but just always thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, I want to, I want to work for a team and um, you know, ended up going to um Marymount University up in Arlington, Virginia. But, you know, prior to doing that, um, I, I was kind of the guy that was, I don't want to say the class clown, but more, you know, <laughs> outgoing and, and people oriented than I was focusing on my calculus exams and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, I, I had like a subpar 2.2 GPA or something like that in high school, but I was the senior class vice president. I was the captain of my uh, basketball team, you know, like I, I thrived in extracurriculars, but in terms of academics, I was just like, like, whatever. I didn't start taking it seriously probably till, you know, late in my junior year, early senior year. And I just remember my guidance counselor telling me like, Hey, look, you know, might have to seriously settle on the thought of community college, you know, and, and that's okay. And, and I was just like, what? Like, come on, no, I don't have to go do that. And I just, as it got closer and closer and the application process started rolling in, it was like, okay, cool. I'm probably not going to be able to go to like the same schools that all my friends are going to, but you know, maybe I can go to a D2 school. Well, no, I probably can't go to those either. Okay. Well, D3 sounds nice. And, you know, I just remember sending out so many applications and, you know, I think I got rejected from about 12 different schools. And the last school I heard from, I remember I came home that day with the letter in my hand was Marymount University in Arlington. And I just, it didn't phase me at all though. Like I remember walking to the door and my, my parents are sitting there like, all right. So, and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't get in, but it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go write a letter to the Dean of admissions real quick. And I'm just going to send it off to him and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. That was, that was kind of the adoption of, of kind of how I look at business today is like, you know, we'll figure it out. Like sometimes you don't need the, the roadmap to be hundred percent defined, just, you know, kind of trial by napalm and, and figure it out. So I went upstairs, wrote a handwritten note to the Dean of admissions no clue what I wrote, but I pretty much gave him and sold him a guarantee. It was like my first official pitch 
that, look, you know, conditionally accept me. Here are the terms that I'm laying out for us. If I fall below this GPA, kick me out after the first semester. I got a phone call a week later and I was conditionally accepted and ended up, you know, finishing, you know, at least one semester in college on the dean's list and graduated in four years. So, yeah, I mean, it's I've kind of faced those adversities all all early on. Um you know, went like went to ended up going to Marymount, like I said. I jungled jungled multiple jobs, and you know, worked a little bit just in the writing and media space. You know, doing freelance for like the Washington Times, the Post, a few blogs, working in media for my internship, then to full time at Sirius XM for a while, and uh, you know, really all of that kind of prepared me for just what I call the unorthodox and untraditional way of you know, kind of understanding the world of business, understanding the world of sports and understanding just what is the right way to do it? What is the wrong, I guess, if you want to even ever classify that, but also understanding, dare I say the loopholes of life and not, and by that, I don't mean the shortcuts, but just the unique ways of thinking, like the different ways that you can, you know, kind of proposition a thought and an idea and, and, you know, kind of look at things through a different lens because, typically in this industry, and I know you know it all too well, it's, it's very black and white. You know, it's like, look, these are the legal terms. This is the contract. This is the negotiation. It's not, you know, really a negotiation. <laughs> You're either going to take <laughs> right. it and that's what it is. And I was just like, man, you know, after all my years of kind of jumping across all these pillars of sports, I realized I was like, holy crap, like, why is nobody brave enough to really just kind of challenge the norm and, and look at this through more of a creative marketing lens? Now, look, everything I'm doing, even to date, is always matched with, you know, kind of anger and adversity. And I go to conferences, you know, pre-COVID and, you know, I would see old colleagues of mine from Octagon and I'm like, oh, hey, how are you? And they're like, eh. you know, because again, I, I'm in a way disrupting the typical model of what an agent is. I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, you know, legal by trade. Um, but this model that, you know, we'll get into, I'm sure, and talk about is, it's just a little bit non-traditional. It's, it's a splash of boutique with, you know, focusing on really where the consumers and the fans are. And those are the rising sports properties across the world. And those are just a little bit more opportunistic when it comes to, to brand partnerships and league and properties mm. and media. So it's, it's all serendipitous. So, um, you know, yeah, I go in from college and, and kind of jumping all over, like you mentioned, I learned a lot and it's brought me to this great path today. And I just, I, every day I wake up and I'm kind of like, you know, never satisfied. I'm like, this isn't real. Like it's just, I, I'm talking on a podcast today about me, like <laughs> imposter syndrome starts setting in. I'm like, mm. no, no, no. And you know, it's, it's humbling, but it's also, you know, again, I'm sure you get it too. You're just like, you always have that, like, ah, this is kind of cringeworthy. Am I, I don't want eyes on me, but I do, but I don't. Right. So it, it's always just a tale of two swords. I love it, man. I love it. Two things I took from, from, from that little blurb is that uh, one, you know, the world of sports business, something that I've learned that clearly we, we share a passion for is there's, there's no right way to do it. I mean, okay, maybe there's some, maybe there's some wrong ways to do it in terms of like doing th something illegal or cutting corners, but there's, there's, there's no formula for success. And you can kind of create that for yourself, which seems like you're, you, you've already done. Um, and then the second thing, just to touch on for, for the listeners, I'm a huge handwritten note fan, huge. I mean, it, it is uh, for, for listeners that are hoping to work in sports business. And, you know, one of the things we try to do on this podcast, I mean, write a handwritten note, write 10, write a hundred. I mean, you'd be surprised at who would answer you know, your handwritten note, whether you're writing the dean of a school to get college acceptance or whether you're writing the CEO of a company. So I love that, man. Very good. All right. So 
uh, I, I want to briefly kind of just educate some of the listeners on, uh, you know, what it's like to work at a bigger agency or just with an agency in general for in regards to sports marketing. So can you go over maybe when you were with some of the bigger agencies at first, like I know you mentioned Octagon, you know, what some of your roles and responsibilities were or, you know, what really what projects you were working on in terms of event marketing and kind of how that world works? Yeah. So it's a great question because when I went into radio, just to take a little bit of a step back to preface it. When I, when I was in radio at Sirius XM, I had hit a little bit of a ceiling and I was in my early twenties. Like I said, juggling multiple jobs. I got so cocky for my, you know, way, way more cocky than I should have. And I felt like I was running circles around my colleagues and peers. And ultimately like, yeah, it, to some extent I probably was in certain areas, but I also was failing a lot and just really kind of burying up my mistakes with sand, you know, but my, my supervisors were, you know, watching me like a hawk. And I just, I, I wanted to move so quick. I thought efficiency was always the name of the game, you know, kind of the Gary V just hustle, 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 like mentality. Right. And, and, and that's how it was early on. And, you know, I kind of hit my ceiling, but I was, I was hit with a forced hand, you know, I was either probably going to be let go or, I had to hurry up and find something else. And, and fortunate enough, you know, being in media, you, you build a lot of great connections and, you know, I had a ton of good relationships with different agencies out of New York city and, and down in Charlotte from working in NASCAR for so long. And uh, Octagon and I had several conversations because I was always curious about, you know, making that jump to understand the business model of sports and like sponsorship and that strategy, but coming from media, very rarely are you going to get somebody to take a chance on you. They're like, that's cool. Like you get it from a media and coverage perspective, but you're not going to get live events. You're not going to get like what goes into the strategy and insurance policies and, and all these little nuances that people don't think about. Um, but to this day, you know, and, and I tell this to people all the time, like I have a handful of people that I always think, and Matt Murphy was one of them. He's, you know, been an industry expert. He's, he's worked at Octagon for several years and then went over to, uh, to IMG and Endeavor for a while. Um, but he took the chance, you know, to bring me on uh, for a new client that was Nature's Bounty that oversaw pure protein metrics and osteobiflex. And uh, we were going to be in charge of running their Tough Mudder activation and then also their pure protein uh, 5K and 10K, you know, run strategy. All in all, pretty turnkey. I mean, you, you show up in market, you pop up some tents, you sample some bars and that was it. You know, same thing with, you know, Tough Mudder. We had our asset, which was like a big, big shipping container. We brought it on site, lowered it, opened it, did the activation, closed it, loaded it, left. Like, you know, all in all, it was pretty turnkey from activation. But once you start going into that role and coming into it, you realize there's two methods of thinking that are going to kind of define your career. You can look at it the way that I just explained, which is you're an activation person that just does. And you you do what you're told. You're not necessarily looking at things from a leadership perspective. You don't have the, the mindset where you know, you're proactive, you're more reactive, which there are great individuals in this industry that are set to do that. But some of the best in the world to do it are the ones that think strategically. They're thinking, what if? What if that happens? Are we planned for this? If rain comes, do we have sandbags? Do we have that? Like, how are we going to protect that if we get struck by lightning? Like, all these things. And, you know, at first, I was very much the, you know, I was like, heck yeah, I get to travel the country, do all these things, like get those Delta miles, baby. Like I'm, I'm loving it. Like awesome. You know, single guy, mid twenties, just moved to Connecticut from DC. Like I, I was loving it. 
But you learn very quickly that if you want to go anywhere, you have to start building that skill set and that mindset to, to be more proactive and bring new ideas. So, you know, I got the opportunity to jump to a lot of other accounts while still working day to day on, you know, that account for about a year and a half. I, I helped out Lexus, MasterCard, BMW, um, you know, our Sports Illustrated account at the time, um, Dick Sporting Goods, all this stuff. And ultimately I learned so much because I got to activate against different events and properties. And I got to work with different team members, go to different markets. And I just was always like, Hey, if someone needs a body, I'm there. Like not to mention the free mm-hmm. sky miles. Why not I have a free weekend? Like, I'll, sure. I'll go to LA and, you know, do the Grammys next weekend. No problem. Um, so, you know, I learned so much by doing that and it set me up to get one of the more difficult jobs at Octagon when I was there, which was going on our Anheuser-Busch account because that account was so small um, because they only pretty much picked the best of the best to work on that account. You know, they oversaw the relationship globally with FIFA from all their sponsorship assets, you know, man of the match program, all of that, the Corona and the world surf league relationship, you know, globally, all of those assets, Corona sustainability program and pillars, all of that. So for me, I was like, man, that's the goal. Like, that's what I really want to go work on. And I got rejected once from an open job on it. And I ended up forcing my way in on the second time around and got to really enjoy my last year or so at Octagon. I was over in Russia for several months. I got to spend a month in the Maldives with Chris Hemsworth and MIA and Diego Luna on a boat. You know, that was my job, you know, was to watch over them. Um, And I got to work on the WSL property, which has grown to be a huge passion of mine is the surf community. So, you know, all of that to be said, it, it, it goes back to those two skill sets that you can do. And then you're, typically probably the first person on the cutting block, or you can separate yourself and that mental thinking and just being like, okay, you know, I want to think in proposition ways differently. You have to make yourself invaluable and you you can't make yourself disposable. And the sooner that you learn that in your career, the better off that you're going to be. And and so it sounds like it was that thinking that that, that, that type of mindset that got you thinking one day, all right, well, this is great, but what's next. And so I guess that's kind of a good transition into, um, you know, what made you what made you create Othello? And and obviously I want to hear a lot more about Othello here shortly, but that transition process, like what was going through your mind to be like, hey, you know, was there something missing in the market that you were like, I can do this myself? Or what really sparked that change for you to leave that job and go out on your own? Yeah. So I, I was in Russia at Octagon. Uh, again, best job ever. Like just I, to this day, I tell people, if anyone ever asked me about my time at Octagon, I'm just like, I, if I didn't have Othello, I would go back to Octagon in a heartbeat. Like I, I just, everything that they've built with that agency, I, re, I to this day respect it. Like some of the most incredible and intelligent people in the world. And it's, it's just great. Um, so I was in Russia you know, working for Confederations Cup, I think going into it was t- summer 2017 and had Mosaic hitting me up. You know, they're, they're kind of like, Hey, Hey, you know, we work with Anheuser-Busch in the U S like, you know, why don't you come over here, help us lead some of this business. We do a lot with Bud Light. And, and I was like, no, nah, man, like, why would I leave this to do U S stuff? And you know, the, the short answer is like my wife got my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time she got sick and, and I was like, you know, she's all better and healthy now. But, um, I was like, look, I can't be traveling every weekend globally, but if I travel U S you know, that's one thing. So ended up taking an opportunity to go to mosaic and, you know, it was the hardest learning lesson of my entire life, because there's a term where people call it agency hop, where basically the only way that you get to the top is by agency hop. 
but um, you know, very rarely does someone stay in an agency and become SVP, you know, um, in a reasonable right. amount of time, but um, went to mosaic for a little bit. I, I learned a lot. And, and by that, I mean, I got the living shit kicked out of me. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I had some, you know, very, very tough bosses, um, you know, and, and ones that they were incredibly smart people and, and they were really good at their job. I just think that when it comes to culture, it's, it's a different match. And that's not to say what they did was wrong. What I did was wrong. Sometimes it's just a learning lesson, you know, and you're right. at different points of your career. And, you know, to this day, I don't poo poo mosaic at all. It's, it's just, you learn, you learn through struggle sometimes more than you learn through success. And um, I was there for about 18 months and it was kind of just a mutual split. I was like, look, you know, <laughs> we're not really seeing, not eye feeling eye. it. Yeah. And so I, I took, I took time off. I, I, I continued to coach women's high school hockey up here in Connecticut. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I started begin thinking, I was like, so I'm applying for jobs, but what if nothing hits? Like, what can I do? And I play uh, beer league hockey up here in Connecticut. And two of the guys I play with one night after we're just, you know, six, seven beers deep. And we're like, man, you know, what's our, what's our, what's our dream? What's our vision? Like, we don't want to work for the man forever. And one of my buddies worked at me, with me at Octagon and um, my other buddy was a graphic designer at another agency. And we kind of just started putting together this idea of like, how do we help athletes? And, you know, like, how is it serendipitous to help brands in the same capacity? And, and ultimately it was like, okay, let's create this like small consulting practice to, to help athletes. Like Stallings knows all these athletes, like we'll let him lead, be the face of it. And we'll be the support system in the background. So I, we took two words, athletes, opportunities, smashed it together, made something that most people can't pronounce. So it's good marketing and always leads us to explain it. And, um, you know, it started off with like two or three athletes that I knew that just needed some like consulting and branding help. Like that was it. Um, and then we had like a handful of local brands in the Northeast that we helped with like website development and like some partnership and distribution strategy things. It really wasn't groundbreaking what we were doing. Um, but as we just kept doing it more and more, I was like, okay, man, like how does this scale? How does it grow? And, you know, I was always very curious by it. And if you ask my two business partners at the time, what the goal was, you know, as I was, then I got a job at Constellation Brands and I was going to be overseeing field marketing. So I got back into my nine to five that they were already in. And, but I still was just like, man, you know, Othello Group, we still have it. It's like a little hush hush project, but I always wondered how it scaled, but I never, ever, ever wanted to take it full time ever. I was like, oh, this will be like flush money, you know, or like slush right. money, whatever. Um, but it just, it kept getting bigger. Like the, the athletes we managed, it just was word of mouth. And, you know, we had more people, we had inbound, we had brands coming to us. So it kind of got to a point where I, I was constantly thinking about it. The two guys I worked with were like, the dream is to go full time. We have to go full time. We quit our jobs. Like, this is it. I got laid off from Constellation Brands on my honeymoon down in Mexico. And oh my gosh, I'm literally sitting on the tarmac at JFK. All my voicemails load, sitting in first class, looking at my beautiful, glowing wife, smiling, champagne. And I just I put the phone up. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, we're married. You know, hey, Mr. Stallings, this is so and so from Constellations. We just want to talk to you about your severance package, you know, and uh, if you could just give us a call back. And I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, and, and again, it was nothing I did. It was part of a, a sales, um, you know, quarter layoff. You know, I think I was a, a part of a big number, but, you know, last person in first person out kind of thing. So amazing job. <laughs> and I, and I wish, you know, I could have saw it out more because I loved it, but it was just something that 
came and went very quickly after a few months. So that time came where it was like, okay, Othello group, it's kind of sink or swim, you know, like, so I, I laid it out. I was like, Hey, I'm giving us 90 days. Like here are the goals I'm giving us. We need to grow by this stuff to make it sustainable for all three of us to do it. And when it came down to it, it, it wasn't that those two individuals weren't motivated to do it. It's just that I think it was, it was gun to my head to get it done. They still had the luxury of the nine to five. And I think our goals just started separating more and more and more. I saw the opportunities with athletes and properties. They saw it more on the creative side. So I ended up buying them out. And the next month I remember after, you know, writing those big checks and being like, man, I still got to play hockey with these guys every week. This is going to suck. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I was so bitter, but like the next month I'm, like we made all that money back and then some, like we hit our biggest month that next month and just wow. woke all these new athletes, all these new brands. And it was just incredible. Like I'll never forget that month of August. I was just like, Holy crap. Like we're going to be able to do this. And then from there, you know, it's, it's just scaled up, you know, coming up uh, next month, it'll be three years, you know, since we started the company and we were up to about 25 athletes now that we manage the focus has never been on the core four of sports. It's, it's more on the rising sports properties, um, you know, mostly North America, but globally um, a lot of our foot and focus is in action sports and motorsports right now, just because I think that's where our, our big talent is. And then properties wise, we're working with about 110 different brands and properties globally as well. So it's something that I never planned for it to be this way, but sometimes the best mistakes are, you know, the ones that pay off in the long run. <laughs> that's amazing, man. That's a great story. Um, and so Walk me through, let's say, I'm sure there's, there's several different examples and, and, you know, depending on the athlete or the client, you know, you do different projects for them. But if, you know, since we want to get into the topic of athlete representation and athlete branding and endorsements, walk me through, you know, how you help an athlete, you know, what services do you guys provide that, that helps an athlete grow their, their presence on social media, but also why that's important today. Yeah. So I, I think if you look at, you know, I'll use NBA's example because I know, you know, you do a lot with basketball, but if, if we look at the NBA, even a standard six man NBA contract, if I were to take my two to 5% off of that, I'd be fine. Like I'd be good. I'd make my money for the year. be good. The problem is, is that I'm not dealing with those contracts at that level for any one athlete, you know, the, the endorsement deals and some of the property partnership deals and even philanthropic endorsement deals, the way that we look at an endorsement strategy with, you know, our brand partners, but even our league partners and media partners spreads so wide and it has to be so diverse in order for us to make money. So, you know, answering your question with the athletes, I mean, the number one thing that I always tell people is like, it's education, it's evolution. And, you know, it's really just helping these athletes understand that you have the tools here and we don't want to be standing here in front of you doing the work. We want you to be sitting at the table with us. Like I always bring my athletes into client meetings. I'm always like, Hey, like you're going to be getting paid by these people. They want to see you. They want to get right. to know you. Like they want to be able to text you. And I think a lot of agents, you know, they set up these guardrails and they have to be secure and they have to be safe. Um, which like, look, I, I, I've learned the hard way. Like you, you have to do, do stuff like that, but we have so many brand partners that just like, they, they really want that humanization approach. They don't want to know that they're dumping, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into an athlete or a property or a sponsorship. And they have to go through an agent just to reach that individual. Like to them, it frustrates the living hell out of them. So, you know, from the athlete side, 
I always tell them, I'm like, look, we're here to help build, you know, something that if in a year and a half, two years, you wanted to walk away, you should be sufficient enough to understand what to do. Our retention model, we've only had two athletes that we've ever parted ways with. And it was really just because they wanted to focus on their craft and they had no care for business or marketing in the world, you know, still would endorse us with flying colors to this day, but it just, it wasn't the match. So, I mean, that's the main thing is like helping them educate and understand, but it's also like, look, some of these athletes want to build out a charity. Some of them want to build out a new merchandise line, maybe a new energy drink line. You know, we have a legal and procurement team in house that helps us with that. Some of them just want to, to write a book. They want to be on the cover of Forbes. They, they want these things. We can never guarantee it, but we do have the resources and team in-house that is project-based on those different nuances and in, in different uh, entities. So, you know, if, if we have an athlete that comes to us and is like, you know, hey, how do we create this new merchandise line to compete with the entire surf industry? What does that look like? I'll bring in all of our apparel vendors. I'll bring in our creative teams that we have, you know, from multiple different agencies and then also freelancers. I'll have people bid against the project and say, Hey, you know, like, this is what we're looking to do. Like I need rates. I need resources. What does that look like? And, and again, a lot of agencies would say like, man, that's a time suck, but like, you know, at the same time, why would I not do that instead of trying to hire, you know, 15 full-time people for a creative or production team when, especially now in this economy, nothing's guaranteed. So, you know, everything very much is still to the point of what I know you work in. It's boutique, you know, it's like, it's community-based. It's like, we're building logos, we're building designs, websites, all that, but it's, it's all resources. You know, it's, it's people that work with us, not for us. So a, a big emphasis of what we do is, is community. Like every tool that I give my athletes, I always tell them like, if I don't know the answer, I have somebody in my network that I know can get you the answer. And I tell our brand partners that too. I'm like, if I don't have somebody that is the next big thing in golf that you want, I can go get you that. Like we can go find the agent or the athlete for you. It's not a problem at all. Yeah. I love that mindset. I learned that the hard way too. And, you know, I think being a, let's say, I don't want to say less experienced, but on my end, less experienced, obviously you have experienced the bigger agencies, but you know, when you're younger in this field, a lot of people expect you to have all the answers. And it's like, you know, I learned the hard work now. It's just like, when I'm talking to prospective clients and it sounds like you do similar, you're not expected to have all the answers. If you don't know it, you'll find it. And that's, and that, that value add is, is much more valuable than, than people think, you know, like a lot of players coming up now, especially, you know, basketball, I could just speak to that. Cause that's kind of my expertise. There is like, Hey, we need this, 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 and this. Um, but you don't necessarily need that. You know, I think right now we do live in a project base. Like everybody have, has different custom ideas. So you just need the, the resources around you and the relationships to get those done. And sounds like that's what you built there at Othello, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not perfect. It's not bulletproof. And, and to your point and what we were talking about earlier on, there's a lot of failure and yeah. that failure is it's humbling to remember that every day. Just don't make the same mistake. I don't want to say don't make the same mistake twice. We all make the same mistakes, but try not to make the same mistake twice and certainly don't make it three times. It's right. kind of the mantra I live by. Great. Great. And so all this brand, uh, this brand athlete talk, we, we, we spoke a little bit before the call and I think it's such an important topic now. And, and, you know, the buzzword of like, Oh, name, image, and likeness college athletes are going to start to get paid. So I know your take is a little bit different than a lot of people's takes. So can you touch on that a little bit and, and how, you know, I guess your, 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 just your thoughts on NIL and what's going to happen when college athletes are allowed to monetize their name, image, and likeness. 
Yeah. I mean, first off, I love that you said when, right? Because it is inevitable. Like right. the, the NCAA is under such a tight microscope right now. And, and as they should be, it's, it's almost a self-induced painful PR tactic in a way. And I've kind of looked at it almost with a raised eyebrow. I'm just like, if the NCAA wasn't doing this right now and they weren't kind of making some of the mistakes like historically and culturally that they were making, like how relevant would the NCAA be after a while? You know, like, again, when you, when you have stuff like NBA G league and all these other properties evolving, it's almost the saying, no such thing as bad press. Um, so I I've kind of looked at it through that same lens. I'm like, here we are talking about the NCAA on almost a day-to-day basis, you know, even if we don't deal with this in our industries, which I typically don't, but it's, it's, it's just huge. I, I, th- I think, you know, for me personally, I have a lot of colleagues who are chomping at the bit. They're like, I'm all in right. NIL. Can't wait. Oh my gosh. I'm going to get my little piece of the pie brands too. Can't wait. Going to sponsor all these college athletes. It's going to be great. It's the new shiny toy. Right. And I mean, look, that's, that's cool. It's, it's again, like sports trading cards. It came back and now all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, freaking NFTs. So, I mean, it's everything, everything changes every day. You know, it's, it's always something new and shiny, but my take on it. And as we were talking about beforehand, it's, it's not so much that I think the process is going to be bad. It's just that we have to be sensible enough to look at it through what is already in front of us from an economic standpoint, where is the money going and what sports is the money going to right now? Typically, you know, we can say core four, we can say baseball, we can say hockey, we can say football and and basketball, and at least in North America, but I would say basketball and football, uh, American football are like the two spaces that that's where the money gets dumped easily, at least half the, the sports economy. And I think it's going to be the same exact thing, you know, with NIL is the floodgates are going to open, but I'm already looking at the next problem that we're going to face, which is the sports equality and kind of the focus of sports and different properties. Why are no brands investing into the best polo player in the world? Why aren't they focusing on the number one swimmer in the world? And, and, you know, I just sit there and and I'm already looking at Twitter like months ahead. And I'm just looking at my peers just, yeah, this is so dumb. Jordan brand is investing into all, they're buying every single NCAA program, but you know, they won't invest into, you know, swimming or soccer. And and I'm just like, you're never going to win. You will never win. And there's always going to be someone that you you know, upset in this process with. And, and I personally just think it's going to get so messy. I, I think that there, there's still so many things legality that need to be sanctioned with it. I think it's going to be like the inmates running the asylum. You're going to have more court like court cases and lawsuits to deal with then you're actually going to have people enjoying this and i truthfully think after a while athletes are going to be met with probably some of these like early on like lawsuits and you know albeit things that they probably can get out of with the right lawyer and legal help but they're not going to want to deal with it at, at some point it's going to be like man this wasn't worth a eight thousand dollar influencer deal like i'm just going to shut up and, and play ball which again we don't want to hear that, but at the same time, there are certain times and places where it's like, dude, it's it's probably just best to to wait until my eligibility is over, then then I'll go do this or then I'll go do that. But then people are like, well, what if you get injured? What if? And I'm like, yeah, well, what if I fall and break my neck tonight? You know, after this podcast, who knows? Like, there's so many hypotheticals. So me personally, I just think that the space is going to be too too messy. I think that all the money is going to be going to football and basketball right now. I think there's going to be so many other political issues that come with it. To me, 
no amount of money could make it worth my enjoyment to want to get involved in it. Maybe in a year or two, let me see how it plays out. And then maybe I'll take what I'm doing in niche sports and go focus on that elsewhere. But even then we don't have college education and NCAA sanctioned action sports and uh, yeah, motorsports events right now, you know, like I right. mean, certain areas like tennis and golf. Sure. But I, overall, I just think way too messy for me right now. Got it. No, I, I love that uh, we can hear a different angle on it and that we can, you know, agree on some and disagree on, on, on other topics of it, because most people right now are just saying the same thing. Like, this is going to be awesome. And, and, and I'm for it. And, you know, I've, I've talked about it a lot, like how I'm all for the open market and NIL and players deserve it. But one thing that most people, probably myself included, don't talk about enough are the you know, the negative byproducts of it and what student athletes, you know, it's not going to be all peaches and cream. You know, oh, cool. You're good at basketball or football or whatever. And you just get, here's a hundred thousand dollars. There's obviously going to be levels to it. And then those levels, when you get towards the top, they're going to come with so many different things that student athletes are not ready to deal with that. They're going to need professional help outside for, and then you get into the gray area of who's holding those, those third parties accountable. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting for, uh, for sure. Let's, let's just see how, how the NTA deals with it this summer and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like awesome, you said, man. There's two sides to it, right? There's yeah. always two sides to it. And I, and I completely respect that. And I know that I'm in a minority, but I'm also not dealing with it day to day. So I will fully admit, I'm probably nowhere near as educated as you are on it, but I will say at least from where I stand and what I do, it's best for me to just take a step back, yeah. let, let it see how it unfolds. And if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, Hey, <laughs> the captain of failure has struck again. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt, man. Well, as we wrap up here, I know we can talk for hours about all these topics. One last question I have for you. What should the modern athlete, and let's just, for this example, talk about professional athletes um, that are looking to increase their, their platforms at whatever medium that is on social media, what should they be doing now to help um, add exposure for themselves or grow their social media profiles? I think the biggest thing that it takes the most work that a lot of, I can always speak to the athletes I work with and ones that I speak to the, the number one thing that you can do is just engage. And, and a lot of people don't want to do that because think of it this way. We don't, if you pick up your phone, you don't want to be on the phone all the time. Like you don't want to be having conversations and even talking to your parents or your siblings all the time. We'd rather text. Right. And even then after a while, eh, we don't even want to do that. We'll get on Instagram. Even after a while, it gets sick and we get numb of that. But the number one tactic that is probably most commonly overlooked is just engagement. Because if you don't have that natural exposure that comes with your sport and you know, your skill level and what you're doing, the best thing about these social platforms is that they're are discover pages. There are hashtags. There are, you know, communities that you can dive into very, very deep and, and really engage and have conversations with people. That doesn't mean liking something. That doesn't mean throwing emojis on a post. That means generating a very cultivated and educated response that shows that you took time and garner somebody to come back and respond to you and not just respond, but look at your page and then also go engage with your stuff and then ultimately follow you. Then it becomes a model of retainment, right? And then, you know, from there, it's looking beyond just social media. How do you do it, you know, with Substack subscriptions, you know, email marketing strategy, you know, how do you do it from stuff like podcasting? Like, how are you reaching your audience in different 
different platforms is kind of the next big layer. So, you know, engagement is often overlooked. It's probably the number one thing I tell my clients. But the second thing too is, is studying this landscape, um, which again, is it's tough. It's tough for you and I, you know, like, I, I mean, we're looking and reading newsletters and books and talking to people every day. My mind is fried and I'm sure yours is too of like, what is the next big thing? Oh, clubhouse, this, you know, peach app that like, we don't know. Um, and, and again, we only know as much as, you know, we think we can really retain. So how do we expect our athletes to do it when they're, you know, supposed to be holding, you know, their bodies to like the peak maximum level and to do all these things. So for me, it's, it's paying attention and it's engagement, but they're, they're so hard to do because even it's difficult for people in our profession, Kevin. So it's, it's what they should be doing. But I think the number one thing at minimum is be consistent. You know, if you can just put some content out there every single day, even if it's on one platform, it doesn't have to be on all of it, but just be consistent, be consistent in your message. Don't, you can try different things and, and do stuff, but don't one day come out talking how you love this new rock album. And then the next day being like, I want to talk to you about culinary. Like it's one thing to test markets and conversations, but just be true, be true to you and, and stick to that. The old saying goes, some people love you. Some people hate you. And you know, you have to just accept whatever, whatever that audience looks like at scale is, you know, having 500 dedicated followers is sometimes much better and more important than having 5 million unbothered followers. Yep. That's great advice. And, you know, I think, like you said, it, there's, there's, there's really no formula for success, but if you're consistent with just putting something out there, you might have to trial and error and, and figure it out, but just continuously engage and, and, and put yourself out there to learn. I think that's great advice. So Man, this is awesome. The last official thing I have for you is what I call a sports business lightning round. I'm just going to fire a couple questions at you. So you got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. Let's do it. Here we go. Favorite color? Purple. Most points you ever scored in a basketball game in your life? <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you count playing in 21, I've scored 21. But I guess in like a high school game, I scored maybe nine. I think it was my high school like I, I made three threes in a row and that was, uh, the crowd went wild. We still lost by 50, but I made three threes in a row. It was great. I love it. And I love that 21 answer too. Pizza or pasta? Pizza all day, all day. MJ or LeBron? MJ, 100%. Coolest city in the world you've been to? Seattle, Washington. What is something that you're really bad at? Anything to do with numbers. I surround myself with good people with, with stuff to do with numbers and finances. I hate math. Like I, I can do basic, but I hate math. I really hate math. Nice. What is your biggest strength? Communication, probably my communication skills in my community that I built because of it. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Uh, so I have my current mentor, uh, Gord Lang, uh, former octagon guy now over at Freeman. Um, my wife, you know, she's, been through more than I can even imagine. Uh, and then on top of that, it's, it's probably my dad, you know, and maybe cliche answers, but you know, I lost my mom when I was 25 and my dad and I just, again, there's so many things we've been through together and he's always been my biggest supporter since day one. Great answers. Great answers. Rightfully so. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Flying. What I'm an adrenaline your... junkie. Sorry. <laughs> nice. What, what was your first ever job? Uh, I worked at Target. Uh, my brother got me the job and I ended up getting fired because my supervisor on his lunch break when I was in training 
went out to his car, made me go with him. He sat there and was drinking a beer and went back in. But because I was with him on camera, I got fired. Even though it was seen, I was just like sitting there like a chubby little 13 year old. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. They still fired me. So, but guilty by association, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I still go to the target. I still give him my business. So you're welcome. (laughs) That's great. And uh, two more here. If you could trade jobs with anyone in any industry for one week, just to live life in their shoes, who would that be? Uh, a Buddhist, Buddhist monk. I, I, mm. I would want to be able to rid myself of technology, of the fast paced, high octane adrenaline in my life, the coffees, the social media, all of it. And I would want to live in a life of sil- silence and solidarity and just be able to come at peace and just experience that like never before. That's a fantastic answer. And last one here, if you could turn back time and talk to 18 year old Andrew, what would you tell him? Keep going. Just uh, you're going to, you're crazy. You're absolutely immature at times and it's going to pay off because you will slow down and mentally that's going to help you, but still physically and everything that you do, keep that speed and just keep going. Make sure that you can just keep going. That's, that's the best advice I could give myself. I love it. Great advice. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I know people learned a ton from this episode and I'm looking forward to, uh, to watching you and Othello group crush it moving forward here. Thanks again, Kevin. I appreciate the time, brother. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success.